Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Daniel, the habit of prayer. 2010, there was a group of eight people who um, God began to move concerning a particular neighborhood in Detroit. These were all people who lived in Detroit in, um, shall we say, safer areas of Detroit. But they began, God began burdening them for a particular area. It's a place in Detroit, a boulevard in Detroit called Sacramento. Sacramento, California, you think of, but there's a Sacramento in, in Detroit, and uh, in, in particular, this area is, was well known for drugs, for violence, for gangs, for uh, sex trafficking, all these things, all the, the worst things that, that happened in our nation, this area was known for it. In fact, it was not just a part of what was happening there. It was basically all that was happening there. So there wasn't a house there that wasn't in some way uh, a dangerous place to be. God began burdening this group of eight people, uh, including one uh, Detroit policeman, uh, to pray for this area. And they, they first began to pray uh, off-site, I guess you could say, uh, in their own churches. They're from these eight people from two different churches, they began to pray collectively together, but, but uh, in two different places. And then they began to feel like God was asking them to, to go to the place and pray. And so they would go on occasion, uh, an agreed upon time, and they would go and walk through these, this neighborhood and they would just pray over every house and every circumstance and every person that they saw. And, and uh, they said every time they prayed, they, they, they felt, there they was no visible evidence, but, but they felt like God was working, that God was doing something. They could feel like the suppression level was just sort of slowly lifting off of this community. And like I said, no, 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 no physical evidence that anything was changing yet and no, no really statistical evidence. There was still crime and stuff going on there. But uh, they, they came across a lady who was walking down the street and she happened to notice them and she had seen them in the neighborhood before. And so she went over and confronted them and said, what are y'all doing in my neighborhood? And, and they said, they told her what, what they were doing. We, God has, don't know where she, how she was going to respond. And I guess didn't care. They just said, God has called us to, to pray over these communities. And we've been walking these communities now for some, some weeks and we've been praying and asking God to intervene. And she said, they said that upon that conversation with her, that she just basically broke down and began to cry and ask them to pray for her. Uh, situation and circumstances and she agreed with them and appreciated what they were doing and she particularly pointed out the fact that she had this physical ailment it didn't say in the article what it what it was exactly but she asked them to pray uh, for for this her physical situation of course you know absolutely we'll do that we'll pray for you and so they did they prayed for her lo and behold within a day of them praying for her she's miraculously healed boom just like that like completely healed and and um you know, they, they said, we, we wish we could say that we weren't shocked that she was healed, but she said we were. But nonetheless, God healed her, and she went out and began to testify in the communities about how God had healed her and how these people had been praying and how they prayed for her, and, they, and of course, opened big doors for them to pray. The eventuality was is that these eight people eventually moved from wherever they lived in Detroit. They moved to this community, including this cop. They moved to this community, and this, by the way, this started in 2010, this process, and they started a church called the Detroit Life Church, and the change that God worked through them and through this ministry was such that by 2013, in the year between 2013 and 2014, there was only one assault in the neighborhood. There were zero homicides, zero robberies, and zero at least reported sex crimes. Amazing, right? Do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe in the power of prayer? So, so let me ask you this, just, just to offend you right off the bat. So what place does prayer hold 
in your life. So we're all about praying somebody else's prayer. We're all about the power of God in somebody else's life. What about your life? So what, what level does it hold? So I believe in prayer, but so is it scheduled then in your life? Does it have a place in your life? Day to day? Hour to hour? Like I said, we, we really have to get, if we can't on the one hand say that we believe in it, and on the other hand have no demonstration of it going on in our life, at least on a consistent basis. I, I would like to introduce to you this morning a guy that we've been talking about for a couple Sundays, several Sundays together, a guy by the name of Daniel, who you know for a lot of things, a lion's den like we saw last time, and uh, uh, interpreting dreams, and you're familiar, if you've read his book very much, you're familiar with a whole bunch of prophecies that he makes, prophecies that have been fulfilled already uh, in time, and then other prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled but are growing closer and closer, uh, very evidently so, to be fulfilled. This guy, Daniel, is known for these feats of faith, and, and of course his book is known for the lion's den, it's known for the fiery furnace, and it's known for interpreting dreams, and it's known for these incredible visions. But, but I would suggest to you, if Daniel was standing in front of you and he would ask you, tell us a story about what really made you the man that you are, he wouldn't talk about any of those things. He would simply point you to a chapter in his book, chapter 6, in a particular place in that book. This, and he would say, this is what made me the man that I was. Daniel, although he is known for prayer in some ways, you have it in, in one single verse here, I would submit to you that it is because of his prayer life that Daniel is the person that you know. The real Daniel is who we're going to see here in chapter 6. And we read about him last time in a broad sense, looking at the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I want to get very specific here about this amazing man whom God promoted to the top of two empires, who became influential and a mouthpiece for God over two pagan empires, world powers. And But I would submit to you, all of it, every bit of it, can be laid at the foot of what he did with his life when no one else was watching. A man of prayer. Notice chapter 6. Look at verse 5. We'll skip down to there. These, these uh, yahoos are trying to get rid of Daniel because he's being promoted fast because of his character and because of his quality and because of his ability. And uh, so they try to drum up a way to, they, they go through all of his records and they try to sniff out every dark secret and every piece of dirt they can find him. And they find absolutely zero on this guy. And so in verse 5 is a telling situation of the character of this man. It says, then these men said, we shall not find any grounds of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regards to the law of his God. And if you were with us last time or if you've read this book, this part of the book before, you know that what they do is they enact this law where effectively Darius becomes God for 30 days. The king becomes God for 30 days in such that no one else can pray to him anyone but him for those 30 days and anyone that does is going to be thrown in the lines and of course it's 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 a trap that's only going to catch a person like daniel everybody else is has no spine lily livered and they don't care whatever god they're committed to of course they're going to back up on that god for sure for those 30 days i mean what's 30 days not daniel though make sure like i said last time if you're caught in a trap that it's a trap that only catches the righteous this trap's only going to catch a daniel Make sure there are traps out there for everyone. Make sure that the trap that catches you is the trap that only will catch the righteous. And Daniel, of course, was that kind of guy. So we read what happens to him. They set the trap. They get the paper signed for Darius. They get him caught in his own pride. Hey, you get to be not only king, but you get to be God for 30 days. What could possibly go wrong? Well, he's going to wind up being God for 30 days and fools for one day. A really big fool. 
So notice what happens. So Daniel, it says in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, notice he doesn't go in and cry to the king. What does he do? He entered his house. It says on the roof of that house was a chamber that had windows open toward, toward Jerusalem. Continued, notice, kneeling on his knees. That word continued implies that he had been doing it before. He was going to do it today. And he's going to, it's, a, it's a continual, literally continued from the past into the present all the way into the future is what that word really means. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. This wasn't a 911 prayer. Nothing wrong with that. Things go bad in your life. Things go south. You start crying out to God. Nothing wrong with that. But, and I'm not saying that he didn't go and pray and say, God, please deliver me. But I'm just saying it's very clear in this passage that this is something that Daniel had been doing as a habit. This was who Daniel was. And so I, I found another artist rendering for us. Here's the picture of Daniel, artist rendering of Daniel on his knees, and the guys catching him. Of course, they show up and they catch him on his knees, and he gets turned into the king and ultimately gets thrown on the lion's den, but the lions can't eat him, and he gets delivered, and it's a big story in Daniel, and it's an awesome, awesome story. But, but Daniel, I would submit to you, of the, if he submitted to you the important events in his life, he would not say any of those things. He would say, this is the important event of my life, that I, found, that I, that I made a commitment to God, and that I, that, I, that I followed through with my commitment to God and that I served him and that I was faithful to him and that I had a habit of prayer and that it wasn't just 911 praying that I did. I prayed continually. I always did. I never failed to get on my knees before God. I never failed to honor God with my life. I just continued to do it. And so, so I just read to you and I'm just showing to you the secret of what it meant to be Daniel. We look at Daniel and we say, what a, what a guy, right? What an amazing person. And there's a part of us that says, at least in me, how can I be like Daniel? Well, I need to do this. I need to, I need to get smart. I need to get educated. Daniel will say, no, none of those things. You need to get on your knees. You get on your knees. Everything that we know about Daniel came out of his life on his knees. His giftedness, his call, his position, his authority, his inspiration for writing in a book in the Old Testament. All this came out of this life. This is the real Daniel. This is who I really am, I would submit to you, if he had a chance to speak to you. The real me is right here, and it all came from this. It all came as a result of God working in my life because I submitted myself to him, and I allowed him to work through this, this, this habit of prayer that I had. Would it be evident, you know, as, like I said, these, these pagans knew where to find Daniel three times a day. They knew it. That's why they set the trap. Would it be, he'd be praying. Would it be evident to anyone Here's another hard question that's going to offend you. Would it be evident to anyone that you're a person of prayer? Would it be? Just a question. I've been struggling with the same question, so I'm just putting it on y'all. Would it be evident to anyone that you are a person of prayer? There's a lot of habits that you and I don't need in our lives, of course. The habit of prayer will help us eliminate a lot of the habits we don't need. Uh, an article that I read by a lady by the name of Gretchen Rubin, her article or her book actually was entitled Better Than Before, What I Learned About Making and Breaking Habits. She says this about habits. Habits, she said, are the invisible architecture of daily life. It's actually your habits are your structure. It's the foundation and it's the, the walls, it's the, it's the lumber in the walls that's holding up everything else. 40% of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis is actually habits. So actually, if you want to change who you are, you can change 40% of who you are by just simply changing habits.
she, she submits this, this information to us. She, she goes on to say some things that I thought were very interesting, including this. She says, with habits, we conserve self-control. What does she mean by that? Like simply this. Let's say you have the habit. Let's say I have the habit of after drinking my coffee in the morning of going to the sink, washing the mug, and placing the mug back in the cabinet. And I don't have that habit, by the way. <laughs> I want it. But right now I'm having to exercise self-control in order to do it. But once I have the habit, I no longer have to control myself to do it. You follow me? She says the same is true with all habits. We don't have, everywhere we have a habit, we don't have to exercise self-control in those areas. Unless, of course, it's a bad habit. Then you need to just get rid of the whole thing. But, but where we have good habits, I don't have to exercise self-control because it's rote, right? It's, it's routine. It's just, it's just what I do. It's just the, the next thing that I do, and, and I, don't, I don't have to exercise a habit. I've, I've said up here many times, or several times, or maybe you don't know this about me, but you need to know, my wife can tell you for sure, that I have a habit. When I go home, I pull out my wallet, my keys, my other stuff, and I put them in one place. And the reason why they go in that one place is because I have a habit of whatever's in that place, picking it back up and put it in my pocket and going wherever I go, So including my phone. So if I leave the house... And everything, my stuff is not in that place. Guess what happens? It doesn't. It doesn't go with me. I, I think if my head was in that, not in that place, and that's where I place it there every day, that I would leave my house without my head because my habit is I don't have to. I don't have to have a have a, a self control in that area because there's a control called a habit that keeps me putting my stuff there and picking my stuff up. Uh, stuff up now. If if I could keep everyone from moving my stuff, then of course. Uh, that habit work 100% of the time. It doesn't always work. So I'm not blaming anybody per se, but just something, some people. Anyway, habits conserve self-control because we're in the habit of putting, like I said, of doing certain things. We don't have to exercise our self-control. She goes on to say this, our habits, listen to this, our habits are our destiny. I think that's a mouthful. Our habits are our destiny and changing our habits allows us to alter at least that part of our destiny. That's a powerful word. So let me ask you this. Do you have a habit of prayer? Do you have a habit of prayer? We're going to consider Daniel's habit. He had a habit of prayer. In fact, everything that he had, all, all his life is coming from this habit that he has to pray. Do you have a habit of prayer? We're going to consider Daniel's habit together and see if we can't get a little bit more addicted if you'll follow what I'm saying here. Daniel has a habit of prayer. It tells us here in verse 10 that just as he had always done before, he continued to do it. So yeah, there is a 911 issue because Darius has declared himself king and that's going to, of course, infringe on David's right to exercise his freedom of religion, which of course he didn't really have. But nonetheless, he was prime minister and so he could do pretty much whatever he wanted to do. But now that a law has been written that neither the king nor Daniel nor anyone else could revoke that keeps Daniel effectively, legally, and his well-being from praying, Daniel, what does he do? Keeps doing what he's always been doing because he had a habit of it. And that habit had directed his life and it became the structure that his whole life was built on. And his, his, the structure, the foundation, and the walls in his life were, were, were built upon prayer. It wasn't a 911 prayer. It was a habit of prayer. He didn't just go there when problems were not, got bigger than he could control. He went there because that's what he always did. It's just the way he operated in his life. How, how does a government leader like Daniel, this guy was prime minister of two separate regimes, how does a government leader who is over a pagan world, a pagan nation, two different nations, by the way, 
in the midst, and by the way, they transferred, they didn't transfer very kindly. It was hostile takeovers. How does he go from being prime minister of one and being prime minister of the other? He's in 90, by close to 90 years or maybe 90 years of age, and we find him in this situation. How does a guy like that control the pressures of life? You, you know the answer. The answer is he was a man of prayer. Guys, it's not rocket science. It's not complicated. How, how do we become successful like Daniel? There you go. There you go. To the callings and giftings that God has for you and the purpose he has for you on this life, how do you become successful in it? There you go. Daniel was faithful in the callings and giftings he had because he found his purpose on his knees before God. And I would suggest to you, you will not find your purpose anywhere else. You will not find the peace that you need anywhere else. It is going to be on your knees, on your face, hands lifted, whatever it is, place you got to go. But it's going to be through the habit of prayer. Daniel had a habit of prayer. Number one, I'm going to give you three things about this habit that, I, that we need to put into our lives. Number one, as a habit, as a habit, Daniel had a place of prayer. Scripture says that Daniel went up onto his roof. Roofs back then were usually flat, especially Middle East. They don't get rain anyway, so the water's got to run, got nowhere to run because it's got no water. But uh, they got water from the river. But anyway, roof was flat, and they would build on top of the house, they would build a small chamber, usually a bed chamber, so that during the hot months you could go up there and sleep at night and get a good breeze. Or during the day, as in the case of Daniel, it would be a place where you would lounge or whatever. Daniel, of course, goes up to this place to pray. So as a habit, he had a place of prayer. Now, prayer, I would say this, can never be completely assigned to any one place. You can't say, well, I only play in pray in certain places. Well, no. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that. Now, the scripture says that the place where a believer finds himself or herself is your place of prayer. It can be. But there is a necessity. And I want to say, there, like I said, there's plenty of places, weird places that people pray from. For instance, Jonah prays from the belly of a fish. And I would say if you find yourself in the belly of a fish, you can't just say, well, you know, I'm not anywhere close to my house or my church, so I guess I can't pray. Well, no. No, you ought to pray. Hagar finds herself in a desert praying for her son under a broom tree. Uh, Paul finds himself in a jail. Jesus prays from a mountain type. Peter in the New Testament actually prays from a roof chamber just like Daniel does. There's all kinds of places that we can pray. And, and honestly, wherever a believer finds him or herself is the place of prayer to be sure because that's the place where God will meet you. Nevertheless, a habit requires what? Routine. Routine requires planning. Planning, in most cases, requires a place. I can't have a routine, I can't have a schedule, and I can't have a plan, but not have a place. It eliminates the previous three, so there, there needs to be a place. Do you have a place where you meet with God? Let, let me ask you this. So if you're sick, where do you go? The doctor's office. If you need education, where do you go? To the classroom, to the school, right? Mostly. If you're hungry, where do you go? To McDonald's, no, no, well, whatever, maybe. To the refrigerator, to the table. But there, these are places that we go, right? I don't go swim out in the ocean. I mean, maybe if I have a hook and, or a spear or something, I'm looking for a fish, per se, if I'm hungry. If, if I want to get in shape, where do I go? I go to the gym. I, I watch other people work out, and I get really tired and think, <laughs> thank God that you've got to die somehow. Might as well die happy. No. So you have all these places that you go for certain things. So where do you go when you pray? Oh, well, no particular place. So you, you're meeting with the sovereign of the universe, but you have no particular meeting place? Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? May I suggest to you that as Daniel had a habit, 
as a habit, had a place of prayer, that you have a place of prayer as well. The most important things happening on the planet today are not happening in the White House. They're not happening on the stock exchange floor. Most important things happening in the universe today is when a child of God meets with her Savior, meets with his Savior in private. That is where the world is being shaken from. That is where the world is being moved from. Daniel had a habit of prayer and it changed him. He's praying on his knees for his people. It says, open the doors to Israel toward Jerusalem. He's praying for his administration. He's praying for the king. By the way, I think the king really got that. He didn't want to see Daniel die. He wanted to see Daniel promoted. This guy was awesome. He didn't care if he prayed to some, as far as he was concerned, some foreign god. He prayed, you know, may the God whom you serve rescue you. And in fact, that's exactly what he does with regards to these lions. So Daniel, as a habit, has a place of prayer. Do you have a place? Number two, as a habit, Daniel had a time of prayer. Right, if you don't schedule it, it won't happen. If you don't calendar it, it won't happen. Of, of the, anybody have, I, I, don't know how the, I don't know how the lesser phones work, but all the iPhone users... Sorry. All the Android, y'all are, you know, I'm so sorry for y'all. Someone pointed out, though, that the apple has a bite out of it. Isn't that the picture of Adam and Eve? Isn't that like the mark of the beast or something? I don't know. I don't know. But I will say this. That little Apple phone has an app on it called a calendar that enables me to, to first of all, schedule something and then to set reminders. It allows me, there's a way to work it where you have more than two, but the, the standard is two. You can re get reminded at one time. And I, have a, I have one where it reminds me a day before, and then it reminds me two hours before, and then it reminds me five minutes before, because that's the kind of, that's the kind of fine individual that I am. I have to be reminded over and over and over again. What, what, and because schedule is important, people call pastors and say, we're going to meet with you. People call me and say, oh, we need to do, talk about this, talk about that. I have this going on, that going on. It's important for me to schedule that. Because people are important to me. How important is God to you? Does he have a place on your daily schedule? Daniel, had, as a habit, had a place to pray. And he also had a time to pray. Prayer is worth your trouble to plan and schedule. Daniel prayed three times a day as a habit. What would change about your life if you, as a habit, prayed Three times a day. We don't know what those times were. I'm assuming breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But what if you scheduled time with God three days every day as a habit? What would change? Or maybe, maybe this one. What would change if Psalm 119, 164, seven times a day, he says, the writer, I praise you because of your righteous judgment. What would change about your life if that were true for you? What would change? Say, well, you know, I'm in a relationship with God. It's a fluid, dynamic thing. Of course, relationships are, but, you know, relationships that matter to you have a schedule. And show me someone in your life who you say matters to you, but that asks you to do certain things that you don't schedule for them, and tell me how your relationship is going. It's not very well. So you say God matters to you and that it's important that you pray, but you don't have a schedule for it? Something's not right with that. As a habit, God, Daniel had a place of prayer. As a habit, Daniel had a time of prayer. And then number three, as a habit, Daniel had a posture for prayer. What was his posture? It says here in verse 10. Take a look again. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, that is against him and against his being able to pray, 
He just kept right on praying. He entered his house, opened the windows to Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks to God as he had been doing previously. Kneeling on his knees. It's got a picture of, oh, I don't, I lost it here. It's got him on a pillow. Of course, that would be me too, because if you ever kneel on a hard floor very long, I mean, you talk about some, you know, you get some anxiety in prayer for sure. I'm a, we don't know for sure. We, this is some artist rendering. Kneeling on his knees before God, even on a pillow, I can tell you being 51, that gets rough after a while, really rough. But a posture, why, why is a posture important? Well, first of all, let's just simply say this. We find all kinds of postures in prayer in the Bible. You find people kneeling on their knees. You find people on their face, uh, thinking particularly of David. Moses and Aaron found themselves on their pray, face interceding for the people of Israel several occasions during that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, uh, we find, of course, uh, Daniel on his knees. We find Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 3, for these reasons I go to my knees before the Father. And he goes on to tell the Ephesian church and, and other churches how he prays for them, intercedes for them, asking that God would reveal to him all the things that, that they need to know. So, so, of course, going on your knees is a posture of prayer. We also have another posture of prayer that's illustrated here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, I want men in every place, and we can say women as well, to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Why lifting up of hands? Again, it's just a posture. Is there something special? It makes it, you know, does it make it go faster to heaven if I'm on my knees with my hands lifted or on my face with my hands lifted? No, it's not, it's not necessary. There's no, there's no magic in, in the knees or the hands or, or, or on the face. There's no magic in that. The, the situation, again, is the posture. Because what we do physically quite often affects us spiritually, emotionally. And really, that's what God's really interested in. You can be a complete fake and be on your knees with your hands lifted. There have been many that have done that. A complete nut. Plenty that have done that. It's not, it's not what your physical posture is, of course, in as much as what affects your heart posture. See, it's my heart posture that matters. I can be standing with my eyes open. I can be driving my car, praying with my eyes closed. I wouldn't recommend that. But, um, but, but you know, there's a, there's a place where you can trust God, and there's a place where it's just kind of dumb. Praying anywhere, anytime, under any circumstances, but it's the posture of the heart that matters. That convey, a posture that conveys an attitude of, listen, humility and gratitude. That's the posture God's looking for. Whatever, whatever gets you there, that's the posture you need to assume. The posture of humility and gratitude, first of all, reminds us who's working for whom. See, on my knees tells me who's in charge, doesn't it? So it reminds me of what prayer is really about. Prayer is not about me getting God to do stuff for me. Prayer is about me saying, God, what do I need to do for you? Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray. What did he say? This is how you shall pray. Our Father, right? Where's all the Catholics here? Who art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. like the Baptists can't learn that prayer. Only the Catholics can. Come on, guys. You're making a shame. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Said nothing about, nothing about our will. Prayer first and foremost is, is, is asking that God's will be done. And it's not just on all these people out here. God, I pray you fix all these people because they need their life straightened out. Starts with you. Thy kingdom come here and there and over there and everywhere. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? 
A posture of humility and gratitude reminds us of who's working for, here, for who. A posture of humility and gratitude means that prayer is not finding a way to get God for, to work for us, but finding a way to serve for him. A posture of humility and gratitude, among other things, reminds us of, and we need a habitual reminder, don't we? Reminds us habitually that we are not God. So if you've got to be on your face to do that, that's what you need to do. You've got to be on your knees to do that. You can be standing to do that. You can lift your hands to do that. But what, what changes the posture of the heart? As a habit, Daniel had a place where he prayed with God. As a habit, he had a time that he prayed with God. As a habit, he had a posture that he assumed before God. Habits make us do certain things, don't they? Habits make us go certain places. Habits make us stay away from other places. It's a habit, right? Habits change certain parts of our schedule. Habits even change our posture. Listen, there is no higher place. You will, you will never assume or rise to a higher place than when you are on your knees before the Creator. You will never find more power. You will never find more authority. You will never find better answers than when you're on your knees before the Creator. I, I want to tell you a story. Anybody soccer fans? Anybody besides me offended the fact that they call it football everywhere else but here? Because it's not football. We are Americans. We make the rules of what things can be called. <laughs> and we are learning more and more that that isn't true. Isn't that right? Well, they call it football. And it makes sense. But they're using their feet. Well, not in their head and their body and everything else. But we, of course, know what football is. So we're going to call it soccer for the sake of the, um, the, of the sanity of us all. So there was a guy, though. Of course, every, it seems like every other country besides ours is absolutely rabid about soccer. In some countries, I mean very rabid. Uh, thinking of England and other places. Well, there's one guy who is a famous soccer fan who in his own language, I can't pronounce what he's called, but I can tell you what it translates into English. He's called Crazy Ali. Crazy Ali is not a soccer player. He is a soccer fan. He's a soccer fanatic. And Crazy Ali has gotten so crazy in several soccer games that Crazy Ali has got himself banned from all soccer games in his country for a whole year. Like not a children's game, not a professional game, not a college game. He cannot enter a stadium in which soccer is being played for an entire year. They have a peace bond against him to keep him out of there. He'll be thrown in jail if he does. So Crazy Ali being Crazy Ali was faced with a dilemma. And the dilemma was is that his home country was playing a rival country in soccer. And, of course, well, they're, 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 they're ready for Crazy Ali because they thought, surely he's not going to stay away. Well, sure enough, he doesn't come through any of the stalls. He doesn't come up into the stadium. Sure enough, they thought, well, maybe he's had a change of heart. Maybe he won't attend. They thought, you know, nothing, heaven and earth couldn't keep Crazy Ali from this incredible game. Well, about halfway through the game, they see something rising over to the side of the stadium. And Crazy Ali has gone down to the local rental agency and rented himself a crane. And he's got himself hoisted over the, you know, the bowl of the stadium. He's got himself hoisted over the top where he can look down in there, but he's not breaking the rules because the rules say he can't enter the stadium. He's not in the stadium, but he, of course, there's other rules that say you can't set up a crane in a, in a parking lot with people there and other things. So he, he gets ushered out. He gets through about half the game, though, nonetheless, and the good news is, is that he winds up spending only about 100 bucks. He doesn't get thrown in jail, and his team wins 5-0. to zero. Crazy Ali couldn't be kept, could not be kept from his game. I ask the question of myself and of you, can, what is keeping us from our time with God? 
are, are you, it, you say you're mad about him, right? You say you love him. You say he's awesome. You say he's the first thing in your life. So, so let's check your schedule. Let, let's check your calendar. Let, let's, let's, let's check. Let's check uh, tell, me the, tell me the place where you're meeting him and tell me the time that you're meeting him and tell, tell me the, the posture of your heart. Really? 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 So we, there's a lot of talk, but I don't know if there's a lot to do. I think if Daniel was standing here, he would say, you know, because, again, we're scratching our heads. How do we become like Daniel? Daniel's an awesome person. How do we become successful like Daniel? Daniel would just simply say, well, you need to learn how to pray like me. Oh, well, I don't need to do that. I mean, crying out loud, I got a lot of more important things to do. Well, then I guess being like Daniel is not for you. I guess not. I want to ask you, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about the things that we've discussed together here the importance and power of prayer and God working. Do you want to see God work in your life? Do you want to see God work in other people's lives? Do you believe in the power of God? We all say we do. Do you believe, do you believe in the power of prayer because it connects with God? Then, then let's talk about your place. Let's talk about your schedule. Let's talk about the posture of your heart. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of our time you're worthy. I'm amazed when I see scripture like we talk with the kids that you said, keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking. Even when we bring to you trivial stuff, even when we bring to you, God, our maybe things that aren't, that are only our will and not your will. You tell us, keep on doing it because you love to be in a relationship with us, and you know that that relationship, if fostered, if if cared for, if nurtured, if it becomes the center of our life, can can make all the difference. And God, we are people who need the difference made in our lives, in specific areas, in large areas. We need a difference made. God, forgive us where we have overlooked the power of prayer, the necessity of prayer, the purpose of prayer, the place of prayer in our lives. God, forgive us. God, I pray that it would take priority again or maybe for the first time ever in our lives. That we would get serious about our time with you, serious about what it's supposed to be. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. Thank you for the example of Daniel, simple man, complicated life who simply found himself on his knees on a regular basis, and you changed him and the world around him as a result. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.